Hi, everyone. I'm Christina, and this is the Broke Girl Society podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. Today, we have Lindsay joining us to chat about some recent things she's been going through. Um, I don't know if you caught the previous Broke Girl Society meeting where Lindsay came on and shared that she had recently had a slip after the loss of her father. So I thought it'd be great to have her on to just talk about the process of that, the how grief is impactful in our recovery and you know, some different tools and things that we can talk about to navigate um, a slip or what we can do after a slip. I asked Tara to join us because she's navigated grief and she's always really great to join in on a conversation with and share her experience and, and wisdom and strength on the subject. So I hope you find this conversation helpful if this is a position you found yourself in recently. Let me give my shout out to Gamban. If you or somebody you know is struggling from online gambling, go to Gamban.com, download that software, and give yourself a good head start in recovery. All right, well, let's go ahead and roll on into the episode. All right. Well, I think we'll just dive right on in. Um, so let's talk about what you've been going through lately, Lindsay. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I wanted to just share and, you know, give more details about my situation and hoping this can help others and, and help myself, you know, by talking about it. Um, there's a lot of things um, when, you know, you go through and you hold it inside and it just, you know, starts boiling and it makes it almost harder. So um, anyway, so my um, first recovery date or when I started recovery was 1230 of 21. So almost eight months ago. And then um, I did have a slip um, a relapse, um, right after 4th of July. So, um, my last day of bet is seven, six of 22. So, um, and on 4th of July, my father passed away. So, um, I had been caring for my father for a year and a half and he had cancer along with um, some other things that were going on and, um, he was alone. So, you know, I kind of stepped in, um, actually didn't kind of, I did step in and, you know, start helping him. Um, my grandma and my brother helped out here and there. Um, but it was a lot. And, um, my dad and I's relationship was very complicated right before he got sick. So, um, you kind of had to just push that all aside and just, you know, live in the moment and just start helping and not thinking about all the past stuff. Right before he passed, you know, our relationship was wonderful. So I can definitely say that I don't have any regrets and I did everything I could. But, um, you know, and I thought I was solid you know, I'd been in recovery for six months. I had just celebrated my six month anniversary of being in recovery, being bet free. And, you know, I celebrated the day, well, not celebrated that he passed away, but celebrated that I didn't go to the, the casino that night. Cause I, I thought about it, you know, hard that night after all the chaos was over and I was at home and, 
you know, just the silence and the pain and the grief just started setting in. And then somehow I got through it, but the next day it was still there. And, you know, I could not put it at bay. And what's, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, there's so many things I could have done. But in the moment, nothing mattered. Nothing. I mean, nothing could have stopped me. Like I could have called you guys. I could have called, you know, friends in recovery. I could have called my mom. I could have read a book. I, you know, there's so many things now looking at it that I could have done, but that moment, I just didn't care. It took over like it has before, you know? So just to kind of jump in is, uh, you know, a lot of times when those urges really come in, um, you know, everyone's like, well, use the phone list, use the phone list, but those urges can be so strong. It's like you, you get it in your mind and you don't even like, you know, you're not going to call because you don't want somebody to talk you out of it. Exactly. It's like, you already know you want to go. And I've heard this from, from so, so many women who have just said the same thing. Like they always say, use the phone list or reach out. But, but, you know, you, it just sets in there in your mind of like, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to reach out because they're going to talk me out of it. So it's kind of like figuring out to a way to, I mean, I guess that's all part of the tools, right, Tara? Like the tools of, you know, navigating those urges, not to, to take away from what you're saying at all, Lindsay. I just thought that was a good time to kind of talk about, about that when that urge is so strong. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think, um, first of all, Lindsay, you know, I'm sad that that's your experience that you, you know, that you're, you lost your dad and, um, that you're now, you know, figuring out what life looks like without him presence physically here on earth. Um, now I wasn't in recovery when I experienced deaths, right. Um, I was not actively gambling in an addicted way when my grandma died. And then after she died, I gambling escalated and then it just continued to escalate when my father died a year later. Um, and I didn't enter recovery until years after that. So I went years without having my acknowledging my grief, even allowing it to exist. And it is the most painful emotion I've ever experienced. It's, you know, this mashup of a hundred emotions that are all painful. And when we're in addiction, you know, the thing we're doing is we're coping with our feelings by not feeling many of us like, and our brain now has this automatic pass. And this is just a bit of brain science, if it's okay for me to talk about how our brains work you know, your brain has now this shortcut, feel pain, don't want to feel pain. (laughs) When I don't want to feel pain, I gamble because there's no pain then. So the answer your brain was automatically giving you to all this overwhelming pain in its desire to keep you safe and its desire to protect you from the pain was to follow the shortcut. So you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to feel the pain and, and you could just gamble. And gambling is the answer that your brain had been programmed to think is the pain relief valve. So no wonder, no wonder it took you there. No wonder you 
found yourself at a casino and not wanting to do the things you'd never done when you experience so much pain. And I think, you know, the longer we're in recovery, the more practice we have with those tools, the more we get conditioned to reach out, the more we get conditioned to share our pain or even moderate it, right? And go, oh, this is pain. That's all it is. I know it's going to pass, but it's not easy. And it takes, it takes a really, really long time to be able to learn how to sit with our feelings. It takes 17, 17 months in recovery. And it's still kind of, I mean, I actually can navigate it a lot, you know, a little bit. I, I would say awareness is like the biggest tool that I have in my toolbox these days, aside from connection, aside from, from the normal things, awareness. And it's just like being, it's, it's almost exhausting being so aware of just like every little trigger, every little emotion or every little, like how it's going to impact me. But that, that is what's navigating me and keeping me in recovery. And I think when grief comes into play, it can knock all that stuff out of alignment because it is such a powerful emotion. Like, like Tara said, I never recognized that when I lost my grandmother, that was the start of my gambling. The same time I was going through a divorce and I know comparing divorce to, to death is not the same, but it's grief. There's grief in that process. And, um, you know, and all that was kind of at the same time and I didn't want to feel those emotions and, thus started my journey of gambling. Yeah. Um, I appreciate all that. And, um, I, you know, I don't even, I was like, so numb too, you know, um, like all this happened and it, like everything felt so surreal and I felt very deserving as well. I just endured all this. I just took care of my father for a year and a half. I did a lot of things I never thought I would do in my life. And, um, and then it, you know, I was like, well, I deserve this. And it's like, I, the old me came out and I was like, I can control it. I'm only going to spend this much money. All those habits came back immediately, you know? And I was like, I can control it. You know, I've been in recovery for six months. You know, you think you have like, you know, this big ego of like, I'm solid, you know, I've been, you know, doing all these things and, and no, you know, and, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing I want to share is that like, I learned so much from this experience, you know, cause after it happened, I felt like the biggest bag of shit, you know, afterwards of like, how could I do this to myself? You know? And like, cause the only person I'm hurting is me, you know? And it was just, I, but as you told me, you know, it's a part of my journey and, you know, I, I decided to, you know, learn from it. And I feel like, you know, at this point, how many days later, you know, 30, 30 some days later, 40 days later, I feel stronger. And, um, I actually had a really tough day today. Um, we had an estate sale at my dad's house today, this weekend. And, um, you know, all this stuff is gone now and my family can be a little difficult and it, 
it just was a hard day. And, you know, my husband and I went up to, um, we went um, shopping just to kind of get out of the house. And it was like the outlets. So like to walk around and just be outside. And on the way there, you pass a casino, one of the casinos that I would go to. And, you know, I didn't even notice it. I don't, I've never driven by there and not stopped, you know, and it was like, it was awesome, you know, and I feel like, you know, just, I don't know. I feel like without the relapse, who knows? I mean, and I'm not, who knows anyway. Right. But, you know, I felt like it made me even stronger because I'm like, I've already tried that. It's still the same. It doesn't work. I'm still a compulsive gambler. I still can't control it. And, you know, it's still, um, I'm, I'm still powerless, you know, and I don't want to be that person anymore, you know? So you said that you, you set a limit. Did you pull oh, yeah. your limit? Yeah. Oh, immediately. <laughs> immediately. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, what? Half an hour. That's yeah. immediately, you know. But that's a whole, like, in, uh, in 12-step recovery, you know, we do kind of get this guidance in there, like, don't test or tempt yourself. And I don't know what it is about our addicted minds, but those tests, it's like, eh, I'm not sure you have enough evidence yet, so we're just going to go gather some evidence here. Let's do a little test. Like, Oh, never mind. Still a compulsive gambler. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, until we fully surrender to that piece, right. The, that we are compulsive gamblers and that we're just not people who can gamble like quote unquote normal. We're our version of normal and that ain't it. You know, people who can keep limits. We have a different version of normal. People that can go once every six <laughs> months because they're hanging out with a girls' night or something, and like mm-hmm. not then not think about it for. I mean, the people we the started out life. as before yeah, we were right. addicted. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes, those people that were like, "Oh, it's fun," you know, and then it's mm-hmm. like all of a sudden you're there and no other girl, you know, like your girls aren't there. You're there by yourself, and, and they're drinking fun anymore. <clears throat> not fun me. anymore. Yeah, you're you're drinking coffee late. and like. Yeah, you know, they're, they're really late and you don't want to talk to anybody. You know, you don't want anyone to talk to you. You don't want to go with anybody, but right. Yeah. Or if you do, you separate. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, grief is, grief is nasty, man. I, um, I, I didn't really start recovery until I started facing the grief, right? That was the thing that I was avoiding all along. And I, you know, I look at it now you know, just past six years without a bet. And I can see now that the common theme going on. And when I sat down and did my inventory and, and really looked at a lot of the things that led me to gamble, a lot of the excuses I made in my mind or the things in my life that, um, I had resentments about in particular the resentments. It was this arguing with reality, like not willing to accept that my life was the way that my life was and being angry, very angry at whoever, whatever, you know, whether it was the bank or the casino or an ex-boyfriend or a parent or the fact that my parents were dead or the fact that my son's dad 
was not the kind of parent I envisioned I would co-parent with for my life. It was all these things that was my unwillingness to accept life as it was my life and embrace like, okay, this is mine. This is my life to do with what I want. And I'm, I'm staying back here. So mad about all these things that aren't the way I wanted them to go. And grief, I think has a real, I mean, same Christine, I think, you know, that comparison to divorce, I don't think is misplaced. It is the death of the future we imagined. And I imagined with my parents, a long and loving, you know, grandparent relationship with my son. There's all these things that we think we're going to have that we don't get. And it's easy to, to want to argue with reality and to want to run away from the pain caused by our anger, sadness, frustration with not having the lives we want. Yeah, I can see that. And that's, that's very much what it feels like, you know? Um, I don't think I've thought about it in those, those words. It's like death of, of the future. Um, and that's, that's pretty powerful when you think of it that way. So Lindsay, how have you rebounded? Like how, like, are there, did you do, are there anything that you're putting in place that's different? Um, cause sometimes I look at like recovery as like a ship with like holes in it. And sometimes the water gets in, you know, which could be a yeah. little slip. And then you plug that up and then you just kind of start, start plugging that for me. It was more like, um, a, like Kitty likes to say, our friend Kitty likes to say whack-a-mole with addiction. And for me, that's kind of like same with plugging the boat. Like i struggle with like little compulsive behaviors popping up and I keep having to like, keep addressing this next thing. And so like, how has it been for you? Yeah. Um, cause you're still processing. I just wanted to clarify that you're, I mean, you still processing like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I was so glad Tara brought up acceptance because Actually, so at one of um, the meetings I go to this morning, I was sharing it and the topic that I had was acceptance and um, how that shows up and why it's important that we accept the things we can't change. And um, so it was a really great meeting and, excuse me, and it helped me a lot, um, you know, and I explained where I was and how, you know, I think for me, after the, the relapse, like I still hadn't accepted that I was a compulsive gambler. I might have admitted I was, you know, and I can admit all day, you know, I never had a problem telling people I like to gamble or that I thought I had a problem or anything like that, but I don't think I truly accepted it. And, you know, and, you know, when you really sit and start thinking deep, right. And thinking all those feelings you don't want to think or like accepting those feelings, they're sitting with my feelings, you know, um, I think I was doing everything on just a very surface level. And so I was so busy taking care of my dad, worrying about my dad. Um, my, my dog also has seizures. So like, I'm busy worrying about that too. You know, there were so many things that were happening 
I was so worried about taking care of everyone else. I was in recovery, but I was at the surface. I, I haven't been digging deep. You know, I haven't, there are so many tools I have, so many great, great, you know, um, mentors and friends and resources. And I go to the meetings and that's, and that's it. You know, I get off a meeting and I don't think about it anymore, you know? So I very much have not done the work internally, you know? And I think like, when I look back, I was very, very like all in to, you know, sorry for the pun, all in to the meetings, you know, and just let me go to a meeting all the time. And I think it was that connection that I was just like living off of and being able to connect with people that understood and, and talk to people, but I wasn't like doing the work on the side. And now like, now I can finally work on it. You know, step one is admitting the powerlessness, right? So as much as I, you know, admitted it, but I think like my next step is accepting it. And after the relapse, I finally was like, well, like on that road to like accepting it. And it was like, kind of just like, yeah, Lindsay, like, hello, what have you been doing the last six months? So, um, I also think another thing that showed up for me too is balance of like, how do, what do I want my recovery to look like? And, you know, instead of just drowning, I shouldn't say that, um, like go into all these meetings all the time, like make the meetings meaningful, right? Like, don't just go to go, go and like, you know, and really take it in and, and work through it. And like, you know, just, I don't, does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, it kind of reminds me of like when I was in school and like, or honestly doing something at work where you're just kind of going through the motions, but not really taking it in. And it's like, um, you know, I don't think I was doing that or at least, you know, for a couple months, you know, I think at first I was, and then I kind of fell off a little bit because that pink cloud went away. And then my dad really hit the fan and everything just kind of got really, really tricky. And I stopped showing up more to the meetings and, you know, it's interesting. It's not that I didn't want to go. It's just, I couldn't, you know, I don't know. I was in this weird space and it's like, that's when I feel like I needed them the most. And, you know, I was, you know, talking about how I was just always trying to help everyone else. Like I struggle with asking for help. So, you know, like, I'm not one to just like, I need to talk, like maybe every once in a great while, but just not a lot. And, you know, I tried to do it all myself and, um, you know, with my dad, you know, trying to take care of him and, and handle my emotions and everything. I was trying to just do it all on my own when, you know, it wasn't as easy as I shouldn't say easy, but. I thought I could deal with it. I thought I was strong, you know, and I am strong. It's just, uh, it's hard. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's that I'm fine mentality that Tara and I talk about a lot, you know, that I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and it's, it's, I think in recovery, it's so important to recognize that you're not fine. 
And that's, it's hard. It's hard to navigate that, you know, that my transitioning that mindset into it being okay to tell people when you're not okay. Um, I know a great coach for that. <laughs> Contact Tara at ambitiousaddicts.com if you want some mindset help. But um, yeah, I think it's, and then to go through what you have been through the last several months. Um, I don't know that we can sometimes see the right or wrong way to navigate that. It's, it's kind of all like a learning lesson. What do you think, Tara? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting over here picturing this, this person of strength, of great strength, like a, a bodybuilder, right? Who's doing, you ever seen people do the sled pull where they're mm-hmm. pulling a big thing away and so they're pulling it across the gym, right? They don't do that 24 hours a day. They train for that moment. And when the weights get too heavy, they drop the weight. And when it's too many reps and it hurts too much, they stop, you know, and we, this illusion of strength that, that we think we, <laughs> uh, somehow other people have told us you're so strong, you're so resilient. And we're trying to live up to that so much so that we're putting ourselves at risk in order to keep that facade going and to let other people keep believing back to that point about people pleasing that we are strong. You know, and I think some of the strongest people I know in this world know when to put the weights down. Agreed. They know know when to fall apart and that falling apart is part of building the strength. The rest days are there in order to continue to build the muscle. And our emotional resilience is kind of the same way. And I think of pain as like one of those emotions we have to microdose. Like, okay. That's enough of that for now. Like that's what I, there, my tolerance for pain has been hit. It is time to soothe now before I re-engage with this emotion. And, um, it's, it's not easy to find that tipping point until we, you know, we cross it and you're like, oh damn, there it is. I didn't mean to do that. And I think back to the point about what our friend Kitty says with the whack-a-mole, right? Lindsay, what you just described was not that you stopped gambling and started dealing with your emotions and fully, yes, you were going to meetings and yes, you were starting to work a program of recovery. I'm not trying to diminish anything and everything you accomplished, but I'm relating to your experience because I did the same thing very early on in my recovery. Boom. My codependency just off the charts. Did I see it at the time? No, no. Can I see it now? Yes. Like Everything was about still not being alone, filling up my social calendar, dealing with obligations to other people, making myself available to other people's problems instead of my own and, and making other people's problems, my problems, like a choice, like, oh, this person has this problem. I'm going to drop everything and go deal with what they need help with. Not consciously knowing that the only reason I was really doing that was to avoid the same thing I was avoiding through gambling, which was being alone, thinking the thoughts that I think and feeling the feelings that come from that thinking. And man, that journaling, like if you don't have that journal going and your ink flowing on it, that's where the true, you know, insight into where the pain is coming from 
that's where that really shows up. Like we're sometimes not even conscious of the things that are buried in our mind until we start asking what's going on in there. And I think sometimes too, when we step in, when we first step in, and I know this, this, I can speak for my own feelings on this, um, but I can definitely can see where, you know, we step into it in, in the survival mode that we've been in for however long we've been struggling with this addiction. And, you know, when it takes us to this place of like complete brokenness for me, you know, you step into recovery in the survival mode and you're just doing the next thing to just survive the day, whether it's like survive the day without being overwhelmed by debt, grief, uh, hurt, you know, all these, all these really heavy emotions. And sometimes, you know, for some people, it takes longer to navigate out of that survival mode. Um, but I think, you know, for, for you, Lindsay, it's like you stepped into recovery, but your survival mode was just completely reengaged, you know, as you were working through your dad's health and, and, you know, having to just, just survive that survival mentality. So you were doing all these things, but you were still in this survival mode of just getting through the day. And, you know, so now it's, it's kind of like, I can see your recovery path is going to be different. It's going to, you're going to be visiting it from a whole different mindset, a whole different life almost, you know, because the life you've had for those several months is, is now different, right? Even your day to day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm still, yeah, trying to navigate just how I even feel about, um, what happened, um, and, you know, how, and then how that works in, in, into, into my life, you know, and moving forward. And, you know, I was telling uh, my husband today, I was like, you know, I really miss my dad, but like, not like him sitting next to me, miss him, just that he's gone, you know, like it's, it's a feeling I've never had before, you know, um, I've never lost anyone close to me ever. I mean, truly like all my grandparents are still alive. Um, and so, you know, this is the first like very close person. And so, yeah, it's, but, you know, again, I'm trying to, you know, accept that he's gone. Cause that's, you know, another thing, like it almost still feels like he's like in Florida or something, you know, even though we went through all that stuff, you know, it's like, now that time has passed a little bit, it just like, seems like he's away and, um, it, it feels very surreal, but I, I do think that it's going to make me just stronger in general or, you know, just as in, you know, wanting to like be better, you know, just as a person and, um, and, and to, tr to put myself first, you know, and, and to take, you know, to keep this journey with recovery, you know, um, cause I do, I, I love it. And, you know, I, you know, I don't think I could have done any of it without all of you, you know, and, um, I received so much support and I was able to, you know, um, you know, rely on people to, to be able to share, you know, because it did, 
it did show up so much. And, um, I feel like, you know, I do look back a little bit and go like, okay, what was I doing before? That was good. But like, let's make it, you know, let's close some loops, you know, let's, let's figure out what we can do a little bit differently. So this doesn't happen again. And you didn't mention awareness earlier. And, um, and that's so, that is like, so key to me is just being aware of all these things and being aware that I'm not solid, (laughs) you know, six months, it, it doesn't matter how long it is, to be honest, it just depends on you and where you're at. You know, I, Here's so many people in the group, you know, on the meetings, you know, there are people that have, you know, been in recovery for a very long time and they, you know, they go to their meetings and they work for recovery and, and, you know, that's what keeps them on, on the path. And, you know, um, you know, it gives me hope and, and it guides me and, you know, I just want to, I want to keep on that path. I'm, I'm getting back on that path. So. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely are. Um, do you have any, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you guys something here in a minute, but I want to see if Tara has any like follow-up. I, yeah, I, have a, I have a couple of questions for Lindsay, just, you know, as a sister with a little bit <clears throat> more bumps in my own recovery road that are took different shapes, but, um, what's going to change, you know, Christina asked, what are you doing differently? And I think you answered it in, in one way, but I'm curious about like, how is this changing how you're showing up at meetings or how you're working your program. Like, are you, are you making significant changes? It sounds like before you had your slip, you were declining in your meeting attendance. And I'm just curious in like the plan, the the relapse prevention plan, as, as it's often called, you know, what new is there for you? What new thing are you committing to doing for yourself? Um, so I can't, I made more of like a schedule for myself of like, this is what I'm going to commit to every week Mm -hmm. rather than being like, I'm going to try to get on as many meetings as I can. Um, and so, you know, I have, um, three in my other group and then of course the BGS, um, you know, um, meeting. And so that's for a week and I'm like, that's pretty good, you know, and I feel good about that. It's it's pretty much every other day. So, um, you know, I'm committing to that. And then, you know, if I can jump in extra, then, you know, I'll be happy, but if not, that's okay. Because before I was always so worried to not make any, like, I was like always worried about catching every meeting that I could instead of just going, okay, well, you're available. Like, let's say just throwing out there like a Wednesday night per se. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm available. Like I need to be there then it's like, okay, you don't have to just pick schedule yourself and, and be there, you know, and show up. And the other thing is, is, um, so in this group, there are topics and, um, I'm really trying to kind of dig into those more. How can, you know, what's happening in my recovery, how can these meetings help me and help others? And think about it before I'm writing it and not writing it, you know, when someone needs a topic or like last minute throwing something together. Um, and that's how, you know, that takes me to do some, even some research and, and look into things and, 
and, you know, not just go off of what I think, or maybe something I've heard actually have my own opinion about it, you know, and be more prepared and look up topics and, you know, and, you know, when we have our meeting too. And I think the other thing is, is being, you know, present and I, um, and just being present in like really listening and not that I wasn't doing that before, but just really trying to really be present and, um, and, and learn from others, you know, and, um, and like I said, I was doing that before to an extent, but I think what I was really concerned about before was making the connections. I want everyone to love me, you know? So that was what I was always worried about, you know, is being, you know, likable and being a part of the group. And I wanted to be accepted, you know? And so, you know, I think it's just, um, so that's, you know, kind of my first step because I was already doing these things before and I, and I enjoyed it, but now I'm trying to make it, you know, more meaningful for me and kind of have more of a schedule and an expectation for myself. And if I veer off of it a little bit, it's okay. But now I can like know what to expect instead of feeling anxious. Like, am I going to make the meeting or am I not? Or, you know, obviously I can give myself grace if, you know, I miss one or something, but Um, yeah. And, you know, you did mention journaling and that is something that I really do enjoy doing, but to be honest, I haven't committed to yet, but that's kind of like next on the list. So. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, it'll be interesting to hear how you experience meetings differently after you've had a couple months with this new approach of like, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be present. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what I'm, you know, intentional listening to what I'm hearing. I remember some of my earliest meetings, I was like there dumped out, you know, went through the motions of the meeting and was kind of like waiting for when it was my turn to talk. And like half the time when other people were talking, I was just kind of like trying to figure out what I was going to say and not really hearing what other people were saying about their recovery experience. Not every meeting was like that, but, um, those are the meetings that I can look back on and go, yeah, I was just, I was just there to dump my stuff down somewhere. And I wasn't actually engaging in the learning that was available to me in the centuries of recovery in that room. And there was a big shift that happened for me too. When I, when I started to be intentional about the listening and what I was going to both contribute and um, listen for, because I always knew, you know, what step we would be talking about. So I could do the reading ahead of time. I could, you know, spend that time ahead of time, but I didn't start. I mean, like Christina said, right. Or just in survival mode in the beginning. It's like, I just go to meetings. I go to meetings. I go to meetings. Right. It's like, we're not thinking about what does it mean to actually work a program of recovery or be a part of a recovery group as opposed to be a person who's sitting in a room in a recovery group. Like there's a difference between participating and um, being part of. So thanks for that insight. I think um, it's really helpful to, to hear that um, probably for a lot of people who are going to meetings and, and having that, um, what's the, the phrase we always hear? I'm not getting anything out of meetings. Right, right you're going to get what you put into it. You know, and I'm not going to say that 100% because 
There have been plenty of times, you know, I've been in a certain situation where it's just like, I'm really not getting anything out of it. Um, but that's after really kind of trying and, you know, we can all kind of make that evaluation after like really trying, but like with anything. Um, okay. So we talked about topic meetings. I'm just going to kind of shift gears, um, just for a second. Cause I have both of you guys on here. And so tomorrow's topic meeting is, um, things I'm capable of. And I just want to see if you would both just answer three things you're capable of good or bad. Um, I'm doing a big, it's after, it's actually a chapter in my book. Um, so it's really, I'm really doing some really deep thinking on this. Um, so you can relate to you, like your, just your experience, Lindsay here recently, like what have you found out about yourself that you're capable of? Um, like I said, good and bad. So I'll start with you, Lindsay, and then I'll do Tara and then we'll clarify question. Yes. Are you talking about the meeting that's taking place at 5 p.m. Central Time on Sunday, August 21st, or a different meeting? That meeting, yes, Tara. Thank you. Okay, thank you for clarifying. You tonight. <laughs> oh, I did <laughs> say like, tonight. Well, but we're recording tonight, right? Yeah, <laughs> coming no, it's, out tomorrow. It's, the Got meeting, it. it's our topic meeting in the Broke Girl Society. If you're a female struggling with gambling problem disorder, you are welcome to join the group and be part of the meeting. So, um, yes. Okay. So Lindsay, three things that you, you found that you are capable of. Okay. Tara, three things that you have found that you're capable of. <laughs> did Lindsay just uh, wave you off? Yeah, she did. No. She's just like, she's like, <laughs> Oh, give me a minute. Okay. Yeah. Um, I am capable of unconditional love for myself and for others. I am capable of making more money than I ever imagined was possible as a business owner. And I am capable of sharing the real me with the world and not worrying about who does or does not accept me. I like it. Are you ready, Lindsay? Yeah. (laughs) I am capable of making mistakes. I am capable of rebounding from those mistakes. And I am capable of loving myself because I never thought I was before. So mm, I like it. How about I, you, Christina? Yeah. Yeah. I am capable of also making some very poor decisions that have affected others, but I am capable of making, of working at amends to right those wrongs in the best way possible. And I am capable of living a life I'm worthy of. That's where I'm at. So I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so very sorry for your recent loss and I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're connected. I'm glad you're okay. Thank you. Thank you both so much for being there. Yeah. So glad you're here and that you chose something different on a hard day too. You chose to sit down with some sisters in recovery and talk about what was going on. Yeah. We love you. Love you sisters. Love you guys. Thanks for listening, everyone.